You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Talent Search, Building the Best Team for the Future of FinTech. It features experts from Chargebacks 911 and Greenings. My name is Steve Warner. I'm the interviewer, facilitator, peacekeeper, whatever you want to call me, for this episode. This episode is entitled Talent Search, Building the Best Team for the Future of FinTech. A snappy little title, if I've ever heard one. This episode is part of a new series by FI911, where we interview thought leaders in payments, fintech, and business. This and future conversations will be published on YouTube and as audio podcast episodes. For those of you unfamiliar with FI911, we are the recently formed sister company to Chargebacks 911. We offer a variety of solutions and revenue opportunities for financial institutions and payment service providers including our Dispute Lab solution, which is a fully integrated dispute management platform for acquirers. Episodes of these podcasts will be published on the Chargebacks 911 YouTube channel and as an episode on the Chargebacks 911 audio podcast by searching Charge Forward with Chargebacks 911. By the way, Charge Forward is all one word. So that's the admin done. Uh, what I'd like to do now is introduce you to, to our guest for today, um, Andrew Greening, who is Managing Partner uh, of Greening's Executive Search. Andrew, it's fantastic to have you on the call today. Um, great to see you. I hope you're well, and welcome to this little FI911 podcast event. Steve, thank you very much indeed. Delighted to join you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. I, I've been thinking about this today and thinking that, you know, your insights into the world of recruitment and executive search across payments ecosystem, fintech is going to be fascinating to our viewers. So, look, before we start, I just want to establish some sort of foundation here. I'd be grateful if you can introduce yourself um, to our viewers, because you'll do it a lot better than I can. Steve, thank you very much. So... Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Um, been in the executive search world now for some 30 years, I'm afraid to say. Um, started early life in retail banking with NatWest in the UK in the city uh, and a period in international banking, but took an early decision to move in the executive search world and have really spent a career working transatlantically between the Americas and mainland Europe and the Middle East. That's lovely. What just out of interest? What got you into uh, into recruitment and into this payments ecosystem piece? Um, so my, I guess my early career in 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 banking. I'd grown up in a in a family that actually had human resources. My father was a human resources director. I was always going to be doing something that would involve people. Um, working at the bank, I I think I became frustrated with looking at an environment that was. Um, promotion based on time evolved in, in positions uh, rather than always uh, promoting people on merit and seeing good graduates come and go. Um, and just generally in my own situation, um, the last three appraisals before I left, I asked to go into human resources 
and was told that I was too highly tiered um, and that I should focus on treasury and international finance. And, and so on the third occasion of asking, um, decided that I needed to follow my passion, which was to move into the people space. Perfect. So it's in your genes. That's, uh, that's good to know. Um, yeah, just for the benefit of the audience, what, what sectors, what, what client types do Greenings uh, focus on? Yeah, so Greenings was opened in 1999, and um, it was to specifically answer uh, what I perceived was a challenge in finding people at the technology end of financial services, as it was at that time. So some of the systems payments companies, some of the back office operations for some of the large cards and payments businesses as we know them today. Um, and I had come from the world of international search with some big firms at that time, um, but found my scope of being able to look for people very limited uh, based on which international office or region I was working in, when in fact my client demand and the specialism of what they were looking for led us to look for candidates that would be far further afield. So we set up Greenings in 99. Um, to address that challenge and see whether we could span uh, international. Um, and also very early on in 99, we specifically kept the company, uh, uh, opened it as a virtual business um, in order that we could spend our time traveling to clients, traveling to regions, meeting candidates at an international level and offer something a little bit different um, to a space, as I say, around banking technology at that time before yep. it moved into payments or FinTech. Okay, great. Thank you very much for that. That's brought us all up to date with, with, with what you're about. So look, let's get into the meat of this. We're here to talk about talent search and building the best team. Um, to start with what I'd like to do, I'd like to talk about diversity and inclusion. Because um, I think when I first started in this payments ecosystem, these were probably words that were never particularly used, certainly not together when it came to recruiting and filling teams and that sort of thing. So I'm just interested to know from your experience, what role is diversity and inclusion playing today in recruitment at, at, all, at all levels? Yeah, it's an interesting conversation, uh, Steve. And, and in fact, I take you back to my early NatWest career. I was very privileged in 1983 um, <laughs> to work for a lady called Angela Sheen. And at the time, she was the most senior manager, a female manager in NatWest and she used to take me along to women in banking meetings in Lothbury and, and at the Institute of Bankers there. And so that part of the diversity inclusion piece, the seeing women participate at a more senior level was something that I became aware of very, very early on in my career. Um, and as I think about diversity and inclusion and how I see it played out very differently uh, in the US to Europe, how I see it played out differently between major corporate public sector or private equity backed. Um, that the topic as a whole is being talked about more and more, which is, which is really good. Yeah. Um, but the execution and delivery of what that means for organizations just changes almost unrecognizably across the different regions. Okay. So just in terms of geography and regions, who's, is any particular region really driving this? Um, so I think that the where I've seen a greater visibility and a propensity of senior management and boards to think about diversity inclusion in the full sense. So this isn't a male female thing. This is about a general inclusion of different ethnicity, different um, educational backgrounds, social backgrounds, bringing people into the workplace. Um, then my view would be that America's particularly uh, North America, US, 
um, has been ahead of this uh, for some time, uh, okay. both in terms of articulating um, at a high level, but also trying to drive different outcomes in the way that we've conducted searches for those clients. It's yeah, fair sure. to say that Europe is catching up um, and much more prevalent over the last three, three to five years. But I think the US predates it in terms of the initiatives and momentum it's putting behind it. Okay. Okay. That's cool. So when we think about building the best team, what sort of challenges is diversity and inclusion bringing? Or are there no challenges? Is it, is it fairly straightforward? I, I think the concern is what occurs between a statement and a, an intent from the senior leadership of an organisation, be that a multinational or a you know, a limited private organization and, and what we actually see occurring at the coalface um, as either represented by the line manager or represented by the human resources team in that locality um, is that at times um, it's a little bit too prescriptive. It's a little bit too rigid um, and it can get in the way and I think be counterproductive to what it's trying to achieve in the way that one is asked to execute and recruit against it. So I don't think it always drives the outcome that where the, where the thought was, was agreed and signed off at senior level and hoped it would go. Okay. So it's, it's um, avoiding some common sense in some respects, in, in some executions. Yeah, we're seeing extremes of behaviour where we're, we're you know, being asked to put shortlists together that will only include... Um, uh, females, for example, or where, um, and, and still I think one of the things that plays a part here, put the geography to one side, is the intensity of pressure on the business. So I think when businesses are under enormous financial pressure for results or fast growth, um, then, you know, the, the, the human nature aspect is that people hire to their own shadow or, or type, or they hire people that they've already worked with before because they can't actually afford to invest the time to bring someone in and to, to bring them up the curve. So I think you will see different things happening at different levels. Um, and I think the thing that's really important and also exciting about the payments world now, so we move into a, a particular segment, payments and fintech of financial services, is that for the first time, in a way that you and I joined that West in our early banking careers and what have you, um, people looked at the banks as a place you could have a lifetime career. Yeah. Um, 10 years ago, no one would have ever looked at payments and thought that you could have a lifetime career in payments, but that is now the reality. So I think it's incumbent upon those big organizations within that space to say, we're not going to change this overnight, but our DNI approach for how we are recruiting people at the younger level to come through and into the business, the access to different ethnic groups, the access to different qualification levels and whatever has really got to be looked at. And that will pay off over a five to 10 year period. But the, the danger is with the knee jerk reaction, which is to say we have to do something this year and we have to do it at middle or senior management level is where we're seeing it unravel, shall we say, and I think becoming awkward at the point of delivery. Okay, okay. Well, that's um, very frank. Thank you for that. Uh, I think you're... Your view on this, your knowledge about this is, is, is really important to share. Um, I want to change tact a little bit. Um, something's been happening for the last 18 months that none of us predicted, um, COVID-19. Um, yep. it's, it's had a massive impact globally across everything, across everything that we humans do. So 
let's talk about search and recruitment very simply. What impact has it had in your world? And what challenges has it thrown up for you and also the people, your, your, your clients as well? Yep. So I think, you know, we've been fortunate to be in the fintech payment space at a unique moment in its history, actually. Um, I think more broadly in the recruitment world, a lot of the verticals in the recruitment sector have had a really hard time, as, as have their clients. Um, been really interesting in the payments world. We, we didn't know what to expect two marches ago when, when we tried to predict what that now meant having historically worked around the globe and always has one part of the globe that was, was, was coming up and another part of the globe that may have been coasting or going into recession. To see everything potentially stop at once was pretty terrifying, as I'm sure everybody yeah. um, went through that thought process. But the, the reality of what has happened in the payments world, I think, and, and a lot of the work that we've done over this period has been with the, the private equity area, um, is that those organizations that were looking at new technologies that were looking to innovate um, and disrupt over maybe a three to five year period have accelerated the time to market and have accelerated the investment in those disruptive technologies. So there has just been a huge demand um, for people to join organizations and to scale up. So I think we've seen some of the major corporates conservatively pause and take a look at what that means for their business some of the legacy environments they have but we've seen the the uh the new entrants to the market those with new digital technologies uh etc absolutely accelerate so i think very particular to this space we've seen the recruitment activity go through the roof uh it's become very very busy um it's remained cross-border we've we've had people relocating going through whole processes and relocating from North America to Europe without actually having physically met anyone. That's incredible. Um, That's so incredible. It's, it's been a unique time. It's been more virtual. I mean, thank goodness for this medium because it's enabled us to continue. But by mm. the same token, I'm speaking to you from London today in a real office and I've met real people today. Getting back to actually seeing people uh, whether that's interviewing or that's taking a brief from clients is still a much richer uh, and more dependable experience. Sure. So um, we've got through, we've managed with Teams and Zoom, thank goodness. Um, but I think there is some sort of returning to a level of uh, physical engagement, which is still preferable for what we do. Sure. Yeah, I think I think we'd all agree with that. What, I mean, the experience that you've described where recruitment's exploded for me is a little bit counterintuitive given everything that's gone on in the last 18 months i mean it's great to hear and it's great for, great for this industry in in that process what what kind of opportunities has it created for for employees and, and also employers i guess i'm just interested because of the increased activity um has it created more opportunity has it moved people along faster than they thought they would what sort of things have happened to individuals I'm going to start with the client side to answer your, your question first, if I may, which is I think the, the talent pools for organizations uh, just opened up enormously. So I think organizations, for the most part, all of us really, where, you know, you, you need people working in an office, you need people that could commute to you, normally speaking, and so would typically live in region. I think the pre-COVID expansion of payments and fintech was already putting pressure on specialist roles, be they in risk, be they in sales, um, product. Um, it was always challenge, already challenging that if you were in a particular region of Europe or a west or east coast of US, 
then it was becoming quite difficult to hire people, even pre-COVID and, and pre this explosion. Um, the, the positive thing I believe that has come out of COVID, and, and there are a few positives, but this is one of them, I think, is that not only the talent pool has opened up in that clients have become used to working with their teams remotely and their senior members remotely. Yeah. Um, and so they're now considering specialist risk people that might not even be in the same region, certainly not in the same country, with an understanding that they would come to HQ or the centre of activity on a regular basis. But what that's actually done for, in some respects has opened up the talent pool to have a, a much fuller group of potential candidates. And by the same token, it's offering greater opportunity to more candidates. Um, I think the, the trade-off here is mobility, physical mobility, that we've seen a real downturn of candidates willing to move their career forward by relocating. Um, for all that I've just said, what that is also meaning is people are saying, well, my family's set up here. Uh, I am very ambitious. I want the next job in payments, um, but I'm going to stay here. And, and the clients that are reacting positively that will, will get to hire those individuals. Now, I think that's, I don't think that's a steady state. I think that's a reaction to what we've just been through and to how yeah. people perceive they can now run their life. I think it's going to change over the next two to three years and settle somewhere. Um, but right now, um, certainly within region, we're seeing mobility almost stop. Um, and if, my, your client wants me enough they'll be happy to let me you know travel occasionally but i've just proven i can work and run a great team from home and please accept this input as a senior management senior executive response i think at the more junior levels it's even more important that that people that are learning their trade and developing and maturing need to be face to face but i think we are finding at the senior level some level of remoteness is acceptable so yeah talent pools have have got bigger employees potential employees candidates have got more choice internationally um, but we are still seeing a demand for and a move uh, transatlantically so that hasn't changed if anything there is more interest to say look if i was to move it would be a radical move to a different part of the world okay. um, and, and that would be worth the upheaval and in fact that would further my career so I think the transatlantic piece both ways okay. uh, remains intact but I think the local regional is is tough okay so in terms of building the best team going back to the snappy title we're working with today sounds like a really great opportunity for employers and employees it's bizarre to say it given what we've been through but it does seem like it's it's on fire. It seems like the opportunities are there and for people to move as well. And also for those people that want to stay where they are, but still do a, a role, they don't need to move. Therefore, it, in that aspect, it seems to be a lot of benefits to what's going on currently from, from what you're saying. Um, yes, I think there could be. I think there's quite a lot of heartache on behalf of a lot of clients at the moment because there are a lot of people chasing good people. Right. Uh, okay. And that isn't said as a self-serving comment as a recruiter. Um, <laughs> it's a fact um, that the people that are good in the industry, um, to the extent that if you drop down a bit and you look at the middle levels, you look at people in sales teams and those sorts of um, more volume parts of the organization, um, they are being overfished um, to the extent that they are becoming more difficult to approach 
um, given the numbers of opportunities that everybody is receiving every week. So it's great to be a candidate right now. Um, I think the proposition from the client has got to be ever stronger and ever more um, specific uh, to engage and to differentiate themselves from everybody else that's looking for someone like you're looking for. Okay. And let me, I wasn't going to cover this, but we seem to be touching on it with people moving geographically. Brexit. It's been overlaid with COVID. It's very difficult to see sometimes what's creating the challenges we're having. Is it all COVID? Is some of it related to Brexit? Do you think Brexit has had a role to play in terms of people wanting to stay geographically where they are, not perhaps wanting to move to the UK from from Europe? What, what, what are you seeing there? So I think whatever you voted, uh, and I am a Brit, um, whatever you voted, I think it's very sad to see that um, some fabulous people have left this country to go back to uh, to Europe or, or even further afield because they've been made to feel unwanted. Um, and that's a dreadful outcome to, to, to what just happened. Um, I think what is playing out, what I'm seeing, and I'm heavily involved in Europe, we started the business in Luxembourg, and I, I class the Benelux as a home market almost for us, is um, I am seeing, and I forgive me using this word, but almost a childish reaction uh, to what has just happened at a at a disappointingly senior level in a number of organizations to the view of either domiciliating a business in the UK um, or uh, recruiting Brits um, or or even using the services of of British organizations in the short term. And I I say the short term because I think it really will be. I think we've always seen that there are trends and moves between, you know, countries uh, falling in love and out of love with one another as, as the years have gone on. And I think at the moment there is quite a lot of pushback from Europe. Um, I think there is some level of complexity, increased complexity perceived by European organisations in um, allowing people to stay in the UK and be employed in the UK, um, when in fact in payments, and and certainly at a senior level in payments, some of the more innovative skill sets are are based in the UK. That is is a reality. Um, And while some of them are willing to relocate, I think they are nervous about what that will mean for them and their families. Will they be welcome in, in other parts of Europe? But I do see a propensity and I have some evidence of, of particular clients who have stepped back from making UK contracts available to people in favour of saying, let's hire somebody from the other side of the channel. That, that is a reality. We've seen that happen. OK, OK, that's at a personal level, that's really disappointing to hear, I have to, I have to say, uh, but, but not, not, not a com- complete surprise. So, again, in terms of building the best team, people need to be conscious of this. And particularly employ, employees who might be looking to move. In some of what we just heard means there are going to be opportunities, but in some cases, they might, particularly if they're based in the UK, there might be a, a reluctance to, to take them on it. So they m- might need to work a bit harder, be a bit more um, uh, observant in terms of what they're doing and, and, and pick their roles, which is really interesting. Um, I think also just to add to qualify that, Steve, the other thing that I, I have seen examples of in the small sample of work that we will do compared with all the recruitment goes on is 
is people clearly therefore looking at the other accesses and it's a bit like how the governments are looking to trade um i think that people are looking at them with their careers to say well i may have been you know willing to relocate to europe in the past but actually it's going to be easier maybe even more exciting for my career to go to the middle east or to go to asia sure. um, or even to go off to north america so i think we will see an exchange of skills and talent on other accesses to whereas they used yeah. to move more locally okay um, I'm going to pick up on something you said earlier about skill scarcity, just a little bit on that, because obviously I'm looking for my next role and I'm keen to know where I should be looking. Um, just when it comes to skill scarcity, what are you seeing? What particular roles are, um, are highly valued at the moment and, and, and have some opportunities in them? So, I, so I, very quickly, and then I'll come back and go into them in a little bit more detail. Um, clearly the sales, the, the commercial sales at every, at every part of that sales channel, so pre-sales through to right, right the way through that area, um, in high demand, both in local geographies as well as more global international salespeople, absolutely. Um, the other area is product, um, the rate and pace of change and opportunity. Um, Organisations are finding it very, very hard to find enough product people, and, and with that, enough product people that also that understand technology so we're close enough to the technology side of the organization as well um but but far outstripping everything are the worlds of risk and compliance so anti-money laundering financial crime credit risk those sorts of areas um that is by far and away the the largest demand at the moment with the most restricted supply um and that is i certainly i think people in europe feel on the compliance side because of some noticeable organizations and events that occurred over the last three or four years um a huge step up by the regulators uh putting pressure on organizations to answer questions answer more interrogation um become eventually more proactive so yeah. part of it is regular regulatory driven yeah. um the other piece i think on that risk compliance side which is a bit of a worry from where i see it i see it as a recruiter rather than a regulator is that the rate and pace of growth and deployment of new technologies um there seems to be a lot of concern out there there is a lot of rapidly growing valuations of businesses um hugely increasing revenues over very short time frames um at the expense of the fraud um, that is occurring. Um, and my only concern there is the day of reckoning um, when the fraud becomes unmanageable. Um, but at the moment, it doesn't seem to be as much on the agenda. Uh, facing off the regulator is one piece, but actually the containment of fraud that is occurring, which I think will eventually potentially um, damage the trust that may occur with the ultimate consumer. Um, it seems that fraud is being absorbed in the flight for increased valuation and rapid growth. Okay. And therefore, as people begin to get their arms around that and deploy technologies that can reduce it, the, the, the people talent aspect of there are incredibly short supply. Um, and that is a global phenomenon as far as okay. I see it. Um, and I think spells to that area. And I think just lastly, the other piece where we see massive investment occurring in, in Canada and in the Middle East um, of training people from university through is in the analytics space. So I think the demand for skills and, and professionals over the next five to 10 years in analytics is going to be huge. Okay. 
That's great. In, that's great insight. I, I just wish I spent more time doing analytics at school. I don't know. I don't even know if it existed then. I'm not sure but, it did. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, a final question for you, an opportunity for you to do a bit of crystal ball gazing, I think. Always keen to look out three to five years. No one predicted COVID. So I'm not expecting you to pick up something as monumental as that. If you're willing to stick your neck out a little bit, what sort of changes do you think we're going to see across payments and fintech um, when, when it comes to recruitment? And what sort of fresh opportunities and challenges do you think there will be uh, for, for employees in, in that space? So I think the really exciting piece is that, as I mentioned earlier, there are now lifetime careers to be had within the payments fintech space. Um, and I think you're going to see more of a cross-pollination of really talented people coming in from other sectors. So I would like to think in our own way, we've always been disruptive and we've suggested candidates to clients that have come from other sectors. Um, there just is not a, a supply, enough of a supply of good people within this space as it exists today in financial services. So I think the refreshing piece for it, because it will bring other best practice skills, other ways of doing things from other organisations, is that in the next three to five years, we're going to see the biggest step change, I think, of people coming in from other sectors. So I think that will be one, one aspect of it. Um, I, I think you'll also see, coming back to our earlier diversity and inclusion piece, um, as people with different educational backgrounds break through some of the barriers that have been there because people have hired in their shadows and simply can't keep doing that, I think we're going to see a much higher degree of um, diversity across the workforce, which, which is a really positive thing. Um, I also think from a specific recruitment angle, um, COVID has enabled us to use new tools, and I think there will be more at the middle to lower levels of recruitment, uh, more digital tools and solutions available to help clients recruit volume, um, integrated with psychometric testing and other tools in terms of validating the candidates. I think what's going to happen at the senior level is, though, I think you're going to see where there is such competition for senior quality talent is it's going to come back to clients differentiating their proposition and getting in front of the people that they want to hire. I actually think we're going to see more of a, more of a return to the physical um, and the need to have very compelling propositions represented by external organisations um, to actually pull in the talent that many other organisations are want. So I think to remain competitive, the employer branding piece, the values piece of those organisations and how they connect with executives in the market um, is going to be even more important than it has been to date. Um, great to hear views, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed. That was that was insightful as I hoped it would be. That was excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time today. Um, and for everybody listening in, that's the end of our podcast this time. We hope to see you next time. Thank you very much. See, thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye.